everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Scale RC Show. This is episode 57. I'm one of your hosts, Travis, along with Jay and Adam. Could not make it tonight because at the last minute we changed the recording date on him. But uh, he'll be back next week. So don't worry, Adam's okay, everybody. It was my fault. I wanted to go play. <laughs> so we usually record on Wednesdays, but that also happens to be like our, our Wednesday night list racing for the no prep. So because that's starting to come to an end, um, we want to try and make those. So we decided, well, hey, we'll remove recording to Tuesdays and that should work better for everybody. Plus, that means that patrons can get more time to early, you know, get early access. So that'll be cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we can jump right in it. We teased over the weekend that we were going to talk about micro crawlers, some 24th scale. And uh, most of you guys know what Travis and I do, you know, here at work and stuff. And so we've got a axial SCX 24 and we've got an Enduro 24 because we're currently making some products for them. But we thought it would be fun this last weekend since uh, I was staying out at the diehard RC uh, park for a big drag race cash day that they had. I thought it'd be fun to hit the trail out there with the 24th scales and kind of do a little side to side comparison and, uh, you know, kind of flog them and see what we thought when we were done. So, um, the SCX 24, what was, what was your impression about that thing? So it's tricky because it's like, the axial and the element seem to be really good at at completely separate things. Like they almost shared no qualities, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, like, they are both vastly different from. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, if we're talking axial first impressions, I mean that it is a clear difference in the beginning, the size of the tires, the the, yes. the difference that makes. Now, I mean, here's the thing about like real quick for some some context is that. The course at Die Hard is a man-made course, and I've always been of the opinion that those always bring a different challenge than natural stuff does just because I would say it's a little bit harder because there's a lot of gaps between certain terrains and rocks and things like that. I mean, everything's, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of holes. There's a lot of holes that you can lose a tire in, and so that's that's really – tricky when you're dealing with cars that have one inch wheel size yeah so taking that it 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 makes a big difference in terms of how you have to drive um even in in a normal size crawler like a 10 scale and you know you take that to natural terrain versus something like this i mean it's going to be harder here so that's just amplified when we have the minis and from like a a fashion perspective i guess i don't like the big tires, I think the the element with the smaller tires, it just it looks a lot better. It looks scale to me, um, yeah. but no question, do the bigger tires just make an absolute world of difference? Um, yeah, it's a pretty distinct advantage having the larger ones. Yeah, it just changed everything in terms of just how you could approach stuff. I mean, it's just your 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 line possibility in something like this was so much more um, diverse. Mm-hmm. take it somewhere natural and you, you know then it maybe won't matter as much which i'm really looking forward to doing too i think it'd be really really fun to take these to one of our local spots because yeah every everything's just giant then at that point for them i do think though that 
a lot of the people who are going to be buying these, most of the time I think are going to be on some sort of homemade course, though. Because, I mean, something this small, you can put these anywhere. You know, yeah, you don't I mean, have to have could, a lot of space or even that yeah, much Yeah, you could make a course on your dining room table if you wanted to. I mean, they, Exactly. They're very small. I think we're talking like an under six-inch wheelbase, if I remember right. I want to yeah. say it's a little closer to like five and a quarter-inch wheelbase. Yeah, so so take that into consideration that that in those circumstances, I think the big tires help quite a bit. Um, but the balance, um, the, the balance is weird. It, it was so you did a you did a battery tray mod on it. I did because that SCX twenty four originally had the battery in a weird spot and all the electronics were up super, super high. And I mean, immediately I just looking at the chassis layout immediately. I knew that in stock trim, both cars, even with the element having the deficit and tire size, it was going to outperform the axial. The axial just flipped over way too easy, especially when you were not so much side hill and stuff, but like going up things, climbing, it just would wheelie over backwards a lot easier. The Enduro, which I mean, they, they both have vastly different, chassis layouts now the axial has kind of a a transmission kind of in the standard place above the skid um i moved i 3d printed a battery tray and moved that to the front because honestly it just was not very capable in the stock location so immediately you know had to uh do some serious modifying on the axial the element one has a divorce transfer case so it sits down on the skid and has the steering servo and the motor and the transmission up above the front axle just like on their 10th scale rig Um, the axial had a axle mounted servo which you they're so small and tucked up inside there so much that really seeing the servo on the axial I don't think is an issue it's pretty well hidden um I think that that truck needed the advantage of having the servo on the axle having that weight down low to help it be able to climb stuff better um but yeah there there was just a lot of differences between the two just not just physically but like how they perform um I think another big difference, too, that I noticed was the fact that the Element is a one-cell LiPo and the Axial is a two-cell. Yeah. And the Axial had a lot more wheel speed as a result of the higher voltage uh, than the Enduro had. And so that, again, kind of gave it a pretty... uh, pretty good advantage trying to get up stuff especially on loose terrain where you're trying to just charge it and go up it where you know like if it's a dirt hill or something like that um it just had the wheel speed to carry itself through some stuff like that whereas the enduro didn't um yeah that was one of my problems like i like having the opportunity when crawling that if i need to to give it some throttle to get through something if i need the wheel speed i have it and Especially like if you have the smaller tires, then that becomes even more important because it's going to be a little bit more difficult because the truck, it while the axial is very tippy, it felt like it had so much more grip than the element did. Yeah. And because I think it is heavier, it was heavier everywhere. But um, like that, 
that made a big difference. And so like I, I, me, like I want that extra power band because I'm sometimes I need to kind of persuade it to get over something. And you know, I think a lot of people kind of crawl at half speed generally. Right. And so this isn't really any different, but I, I spent a lot of time crawling at half speed thinking that I've got so much more to give it. And then when I would go to do it, nothing would change. So the power band on the element compared to the axial was really weird. The axial felt very similar to the RTR setup you would find in uh, their normal size vehicles. It was a pretty seamless transition. So um, I would have liked to have seen that because that's something that I think is absolutely necessary if you're going to have the smaller tires. Then the, the issue of the tire size probably wouldn't have felt so impactful but true yeah it never hurts having some extra power on tap no absolutely not even if you i mean it's just it's not something you use a lot but when you do i mean it's extremely convenient yeah excuse me yeah it's definitely nice to have because you just there's some stuff where you just need a little bit of wheel speed to kind of bump the front of the truck up and over something so that you can get those tires back on the ground and get it to pull itself around and uh that would have been nice to have with the Enduro. Now, I don't know if you could go to a two-cell on one of these, if the standard electronics can handle it. Um, haven't quite gotten to the point where I want to start modifying the Enduro 24 and doing some stuff like that to see you know, if you can squeeze more out of it. And the thing is with these two, it's like, they they both have different strengths and weaknesses. Now, the chassis layout of the Element is really nice because when it comes to putting, like, a 24th scale, like, Revel model body on it, with the divorce transfer case, you actually have the clearance to where you can leave the interior and stuff like that in. So the chassis layout is a lot more favorable on the Enduro to accommodate modification. Yeah, this is kind of the best way to explain it. Um, Completely agree. But the thing is, like, and this is what I was talking to Elliot because Elliot and I had driven them one of the evenings there. I think it was, it would have been Saturday night. Elliot and I took off. There was guys doing some grudge racing and stuff still, and Elliot and I are just like, hey, let's just go mess around with the little cars and have some fun and talk about them and you know, kind of share our thoughts on each one. And uh, they, I don't want to, you never want to say anything bad about, you know, about anything really, you know, especially because they are different and they have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, The Enduro, I kind of, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't really want to, like, I haven't really thought a whole lot about modifying it because they, I I don't know, is it cooler to just leave them stock? You know what I mean? Like, because this is what Elliot and I were talking about. Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. But Elliot and I were talking about, you know, are we having 10th scale $500 vehicle type fun with a $100 car? And I really felt like we did. Like, I mean, there was one spot that I think he and I spent 15, 20 minutes just trying to get up this little dirt hill. Like, just neither of us wanted to give up on it. And are they, is it 
cooler to just leave them stock and accept the fact that they're not going to do certain things well and there will be stuff that's difficult or do you, you know, start throwing money at it and wait and everything else like you do a 10th scale. Um, when we were done driving, I really felt like I had enjoyed myself every bit as much as when I drive a 10th scale crawler. And I, I think that's really saying something because with, you know, the size and everything else, you know, with that man-made course, especially like we talked about with all the holes and stuff like that, I really think that I enjoyed myself every bit as much with the Enduro 24 and the SCX 24 as I do full-size rigs. Like, it was the same experience, you know, it was the same like, hey, can you do this? You know, let's, you know, kind of play follow the leader over stuff. Let's see if we can get up it. Right. Um, you know, sitting there focusing on, you know, one obstacle for a really stupid length of time, you know, like finally we're just like, dude, we should probably just stop and move on because we're not, <laughs> we're not going to get this. Like we just didn't want to give up, but it was really, really fun. And I think with like COVID and everybody being kind of locked down and stuff like that, um, you know, we've seen places like a main really struggle to try and keep these cars in stock. Cause I think everybody's buying these cool little 24 scales so they can, you know, make a little backyard course or a course out of like books and towels and blankets and stuff in their house. Like in, and you can have fun and have kind of that same experience. And, they were really just kind of a kick in the ass. Like I didn't dislike either of them. Um, I am more excited about the element just because of the opportunity to change out bodies and make some other cool stuff for it. Um, the axial rig with the tires, like honestly, I think the perfect 24th scale would be kind of a hybrid of both. I would like to see the electronics from the SCX24 in an element so that I can see how that element can do. Because it's kind of hard to, you know, compare apples to apples and one's a two cell and one's a one cell. And, you know, because it's, you know, it's just a massive difference in output. And, uh, I, I was really fond of how smooth the throttle was. Like the ESC and the axial was very, very smooth. Um, the element was a little bit herky-jerky, you know, over some stuff when you're trying to really slow crawl. Um, but that that didn't hold it back. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think the perfect one would have axial electronics, the larger axial tires on the deeper offset element wheels, that it comes with the axial ones are almost a uh, positive offset where these are like a super deep dish negative offset wheel. And uh, I really think with some bigger tires and a two S power system, the element would hands down outperform the axial. Um, I think if you want to look at it from the stance of, I think there's two separate answers here or two separate questions that have two separate answers here. And that's out of the box, which one, would you say impressed you more? I would say the axial just because honestly, and, and the reason why is just because of the difference in power band. I, I, the issues in the element as far as the tire size, which is really the, the tire size would not have been as profound if it had the power band of the axial. 
So yeah, I agree because in the tread on the element tires is really good. Like it chewed through dirt and loose terrain really, really well. It like, did. It it's did. a great tread pattern. And if nobody's seen it yet, they uh, are very, very similar to the TSL Super Swamper in their tread pattern. And the Axial had Nitto Trail Grapplers, which worked really well. I mean, both worked really good. I think if the element didn't have the aggressive tires that it does, you know, the tread pattern, yeah. it would have really probably gotten stomped in some sort of a shootout or comparison. Um, you didn't have the chance to drive the axial before I moved the battery, but right out of the box, I still think that the element would have outperformed it because that stock battery location was really holding the axial back. That's even fair. With, yeah. I mean, even with the bigger tires um, and the extra wheel speed from the two S it, it still just, I mean, that all that, you know, the tire size and the wheel speed, that's only good if you can keep the tires on the ground, you know? I mean, that's, it's, it's absolutely useless if you're flipping over constantly. And so, um, the battery tray, which was something I found on Thingiverse and just printed out myself. If you're a SCX 24 owner, I would very much recommend printing out one of those battery trays because it was a game changer for that car. Um, that was kind of a shortcoming that it had out of the box. And that, in my opinion, that is like the very first modification needed to the axial. That's fair. I, I guess that leads right into my question. The other question I have is what do I, which one do I think has the higher ceiling? And I think that would be the element. I mean, the, the way everything is laid out on the element, just the way it's built and the position of everything is just so much more intuitive if you want to change things or if you break something and you need to work on it. I, the element looks so much nicer to work on. And so to me, that if you are one of those people that like actually want to make this thing a crawling machine and you want to modify it and things like that, I, I think the element is much more of a... It, more apt to be a creative platform than the axial is the and this has kind of been something that has troubled me about just axial in general as of late you know i mean this is as good as the sex 102 was this was a problem i had with it i mean i, I gotta look at this from a product developer standpoint too and that that plays a role in this and that's the axial is just it's more difficult to work around than the element there's just a lot of inconvenient places for a lot of things and they crammed a lot into a very small space on that truck they did they did and so that makes it difficult if you are one of those people who want to approach it from the okay what can i do to this thing to make it just absolutely badass that your, your challenge is going to be greater with the axial doing it that way um yeah yeah so i would say if you want if you're a, if you're a true builder then i would say the element is going to be more up your alley. Yeah. That's what I would say. I I think either of these cars you could take and upgrade the electronics in. Um, the Tekken BXR is such a small ESC that even like the BXR and a Spectrum or FlySky receiver will still end up being the same size or slightly smaller than the stock electronics. So with the Element, I'm... I think what I'm probably going to end up doing it at some point, I mean, it's like, I can't leave well enough alone and as much fun as they are stock and everything, there's always like that. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's 
from having a racing background, but you just have that like competitive, like how much can I squeeze out of this thing, you know? And I think with the element, I'm probably going to end up doing some stuff to it. Although I had, I, I think I'd end up having the same amount of fun, you know, with it stock or with it modified, but I think modified with different electronics and larger tires, I think the thing would be just, an absolute weapon then. I mean, it, it's it's a great little truck. One of the things that, and this is kind of funny, this is a big difference I noticed between the two of them too, is the suspension. So both of them have friction style shocks or dampers. So what that means is you don't have oil inside of the shock to control how quickly the piston moves up and down inside the shock body. Instead, these friction shocks is just plastic on plastic, or in the Axial's case, uh, metal on plastic. So this was a really interesting thing about the Axial. It has very scale-looking shocks with a little faux reservoir on them and everything, and it actually has metal shock shafts. So when you look at the shocks on the Axial, they look like the real deal off of a tenth scale. You know, they look very, very similar. Um, the downside was is that they're just all spring and not enough friction. Like you can set it on the bench and like tap it with your finger and that thing will just sit there and bounce up and down until it stops. Like there's just, there's actually like little to no actual damping going on with the shocks on the SCX24. The element, they don't look as realistic and they have plastic on plastic, so it's got a very large diameter plastic shaft going into a plastic body. But there's just enough friction there, and the springs are just soft enough to where if you do kind of slap it or tap on it, it'll just do that one little bounce and rebound, and that's it. It won't just continue to sit there and bounce up and down, you know, like a pogo stick. So um, that was a huge difference in between the two. Is it a deal breaker? Not necessarily. I mean, these things are so little that, you know, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to expect 10th scale performance and 10th scale quality stuff out of a $100 rig. I think you and I had seen that guy post his little review of the Enduro and <laughs> kind of just picked it apart, you know, and it's like, I think everybody's reading it going, dude, it's a hundred dollar truck. Yes. Yes. We are doing like a, a comparison, like shootout here between the two, but also we are a hundred percent cognizant of the fact that they're hundred dollar trucks and they're 24th scale. And so yeah. and actually, <laughs> I think the axial's is one twenty and the elements 99. Okay. So, so. it's about 20 bucks cheaper. Um, I don't know if that's a big enough difference in price to where price alone would sway somebody to make a decision between the two. I think it would be a very small percentage, probably the people who like not your average RC crowd, like probably just the person who walked into a hobby shop and thought, Oh, that looks interesting. And just got yeah, the cheaper oh, that's one. Cute. I'll get it for my kids so they can play with it inside, you know, like stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I don't think someone who's seriously into the crawler game already is really going to care. Yeah, I mean, chances if, are they've got their mind made up anyways because of the brands. So yeah, and if twenty bucks is a deal breaker on the car, chances are you're not buying it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, if if twenty bucks is that big a deal to you? Yeah, unless you're um, twelve and like saving all your money, it's it's probably yeah, just buy yeah, it. exactly. Which you know you're gonna get that. I mean, kids, yeah, they right. Uh, you know, I mean, we saw interns scramble. At, you know, I had taken him around the track and or the course and stuff, and we drove the rigs. And immediately when we were done, he's like, "I'm gonna try and trade my mod." 
buggy electronics for an SCX 24. Yeah. And sure enough, he did. I mean, he, he wanted one really bad and he found a way to make it happen. But so that, that was kind of funny. But point remains, I think that's still a, a fairly small percentage of consumers in this case. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, pretty cool. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, you're not going to be unhappy with either. I, I really want to get that point across. Um, both are fun. You're going to enjoy both of them. Really what Travis and I are doing here is kind of just nitpicking, you know, because it's what we do. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like, we want to, <laughs> we want to give you guys an accurate representation of what both trucks are like so that you can, you know, hopefully make an informed decision and buy the one that you decide, you know, suits you. Um, you're not going to be unhappy with either. They both have LED lights on them. Um, the axial ones are ridiculously bright. They stay on all the time versus the Enduro ones only come on when you're giving it throttle, which kind of weird, but whatever. I mean, it's like I said, it's not a deal breaker. I don't know how much night crawling people are going to do outside of their, you know, living room with something like this. So the, the lights should be probably a non-issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, they're cool. They're both awesome. Um, we're both really looking forward to making some neat little parts and uh, some really cool different cosmetic items for these, you know, wraps and decal kits and stuff. I, I think it's going to be a really, f either of them will be a really fun platform for people to play with and enjoy themselves because I know I did. And if I can go from having really, really nice crawlers and bust out a 24th scale and have that same 10th scale type of fun then that's a winner yeah either, you know with either rig you, you pick exactly yeah okay um no rad i think that concludes the minis what do you think yeah yeah absolutely i mean cool yeah um so the next topic we have is not gonna be all that awesome to talk about so why don't we Get might, some, get a, might get a little spicy. Might get a little spicy, so why don't we get into some questions so we answer those while we're in the uh, correct frame of mind. Yes. <laughs> I think that's going to be important. Okay, so for posting these like seven minutes before recording, we actually got a pretty decent response. So this will that's take up. That's pretty rad, time. actually. That that makes me feel good, honestly. We have really dedicated listeners. So Yeah, super Pretty cool. awesome. All right. Uh, the first one is from Eli Hazen. He says... Why do most racers and scale guys hate on us bashers? My racer and scaler friends think it's stupid to send my RCs as high and far as I can, but I enjoy it and find it the funnest part of the RC hobby. Man, it's kind of a loaded That's question. That's a very loaded question. Um, I mean, I, I guess of us on the show, I've probably been more critical of the basher crowd than anybody. Um Oh, that's a hard one to answer from. I don't know what I'll, I'll answer it. And you kind of think about what you want to say. Yeah. Um, RC racing fills a void that was left when I quit racing motorcycles. It fills this competitive urge that I have, um, that has just, you know, been me for my entire life. You know, I mean, I rode and raced motorcycles for a very, very long time. You know, the majority of my life was spent with those things. And when I quit, 
like you just can't get rid of that racer, you know? And so it moved to RC and that's where my interest lied. Bashing never really appealed to me because when you're racing, your equipment has to be just dialed all the time and flawless and performing at its best. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, you get a half-assed effort, you're going to get half-assed results. And I just have a problem myself beating on stuff for the sake of beating on it and laughing. Um, bashing does look fun. I just, you know, for me, my interests are pulled in other directions, so I don't really have the income to dedicate to something like that to where I'm, you know, not scared to break parts and beat the shit out of something. Um, that's just not really my thing. Does it look fun? Yeah, you know, like it, it really does. Like I look at the ramps out at Die Hard and stuff, and it's like, man, it would be really cool to have like an X-Max or something and just, you know, huck that thing 40 feet in the air off of one of those jumps. Like it would be really, really fun. I like watching but, other people do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like honestly, I, I think for me, I probably get more enjoyment just watching people just because it's just – it's not in my nature to trash on stuff for laughs. Like I just, I can't get myself to do it. I'm kind of a cheap ass that way. Yeah. So it's never been my thing, but I understand the appeal and that's probably next to scale and now drag racing. The largest segment of RC is, you know, made up of bashers. A hundred percent. Like that's really important. You know I mean? Look at Traxxas. Yeah. You know, I mean, their, their life depends on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes them a ton of money. So I, I have no issues with bashing itself. I mean, like I said, if that's your thing, good on you. Like I said, it is a massive part of RC, one of the biggest, if not the biggest. I mean, it you know it can kind of go a couple different ways. Um, but I think my thing is that look, bashers. A lot of the time, you you are okay with breaking stuff, and you know what you're doing to them. So, I mean, if if you've been around a long time and do it, you expect stuff to break. I think some people get out of the gate and buy things and expect to send them off a, you know, 10-foot jump or whatever and think the thing's going to be fine and it's trash when it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hold up. I'm not saying the whole bashing community is like that because they're not, but I, I think that the point that I'm making is that like, look at what happened with the Proline thing, okay? Proline gets bought by Horizon. And so what happens is, is all of these basher guys come out and start putting in their two cents on what's happening to Proline, which was largely conspiracy theory about how Proline's going to get dismantled. From what I have seen historically, just the bashers just don't have, I would say, the expertise as a community, right? I mean... I had the expertise to be able to speak on a lot of those things and then also attest to, you know, products that, you know, is something good quality? Is it bad quality? Is it... Eh, the measuring stick is just so different. And so when you get in discussions of like, you know, I, I think things like the TRX4 kind of bridged the gap a little bit. You know, some bashers saw something like that, they got into it, and if, like, something broke or they had a different truck that they moved on to and something broke and it's like, well, my Traxxas didn't do this, it's like, you know, or, you know, my Rustler or something like that didn't do this or whatever the case may be, I just, I think it's such a a vastly different part of the hobby that 
people have such vastly different experiences in that a lot of people come into other parts parts of the hobby. Like this is what I see in particular on like Instagram because bashing is huge on Instagram because the stuff is photo and video worthy. So then a lot cool. of those guys, like a lot of those big pages, maybe that's what I have the problem with more than anything. It's like the big basher pages. They come in and speak on things like they have authority and they know what's going on. And a lot of the time they don't. So that's, that, that's my issue. If you are just, look, if you're a basher, that's what you enjoy doing and you want to go send it, dude, more power to you. Neither of us are particularly into it. Like I said, I love watching people do it, but I, I cringe at the thought that, <laughs> that you know how, how much did yeah. that cost when you have something break you send it off a jump stuff like that one of the coolest things they do i mean like let's not pretend that it isn't cool in its own right i mean one of the things they do with that uh was it psycho nitro blast i think it's uh it's you know this is and if for those of you who aren't like in the racer crowd this is a massive race over in tennessee generally where they hold this um it is a race where like it's a three-day race, but they have like 800 car entries. So practice on Friday is 24 hours. And there generally is, um, you know, they finish, you know, they start the, they, they finish practice at midnight or whatever on Friday. And they're back the next day at 5 or 6 a.m., I think, starting qualifying. They finish qualifying at 2 or 3 in the morning on Sunday. And they're back three to four hours later starting racing. Just an abs. And, and, and so that's part of the appeal of that event is just because, it is so long and so heavy that you like, you have to do things like plan your sleep schedule and all of that. So that's cool. But one of the things they do there as like, kind of like a side spectacle is that they've done like rocket powered e-buggies where they, you know, put like a, like if anyone ever did like CO2 cars in school, they do something like that. And they send their, their four cell e-buggy off of this jump and it is just absolutely, I mean, it's usually the technos that do it. And it's usually just some awesome, awesome jump into the car, like splits in half when they land and all this stuff. I can't <laughs> believe they don't explode. Honestly, those lipos hitting the ground like that. So yeah, I mean like, so like, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's cool or, or like it's not cool. And I'm like above that. It's just not particularly appealing to me, but I just, again, like I, I think that there needs to be some consideration of like when, People kind of speak on, you know, with quote unquote expertise that you kind of got to take with a grain of salt where they're coming from sometimes. Not to say that basher guys don't know anything. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think that's they're a community in particular. not well connected like the racing community where there's <laughs> team managers and things like that that can't keep you in the loop. Yeah, they just don't have the insight. They just don't have the yeah. insight that like, I, I mean, I guess you and I are a bad example, but. I, I maybe they just don't have the insight to the way the whole industry works as your average crawler or especially your racer. You know what I'd be really interested to see. So if you follow the element groups at all, um, there's been a lot of people grumbling about product failures and the majority of it's usually as a result of something they've themselves done. Yeah. I'm really curious if the basher community has the freakouts that the scale community has when some when a part fails? Yeah, you that's know? that's that's a good question. See, that's what I don't know. I yeah, guess that's like a good I, return I, question I don't to know Eli. What goes on in those circles? It'd be it'd be interesting to to see. I mean, I'm I, I don't care enough to where I'm going to go and join a bunch of groups <laughs> just no, to research no. it. But I mean, it just it makes me wonder. Like, are those guys a little more forgiving of? 
brands when something does happen to go wrong? Well, that's a question then for you, Eli, because there's a pretty heavy chance that you know more about the bashing than we do. So help us out, Eli. Help us out. You know, let us know how that how that works in that community because I'm pretty interested in that and how people respond to that. I mean, I'm sure it's like anything else where people first get into it and they break something. They're like, "What a piece of shit!" But I, yeah, I think people eventually. I don't know. I see people generally grow out of that. So it's true. (laughs) Well, eventually, I mean, we found out the same way. I mean, you know, you find out you just break stuff and that's just part of our seat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, we've never been like, you know, broken an arm and like went crying to AE, you know, (laughs) I want, I want this, you know, $10 a arm warrantied because it shouldn't have broke when I, you know, clipped a pipe at 30 miles an hour. I can't even remember how many Titan, Traxxas motors I've roached. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like it is a lot. It It is a lot. And Um, because you and I just like when we first started, we had no idea what we were doing. No, we didn't. We didn't know like you know, hey, run them for like seven minutes max and let them cool down. Like you don't just throw pack after pack in them. That you know. So I mean, we made that mistake early on, and yeah, you know, we we definitely uh, did our share of destroying stuff you know during that whole learning process but you know i we we figured it out eventually and you know don't cause a stink if something fails and stuff and we you and i just happen to be those type of people that understand that that's just kind of part of this hobby and those things are going to happen because everything has its mechanical limits yeah a hundred percent um no i agree with that so the next question, um, I'm going to butcher your name. Um, oh man, I'm trying to remember how we pronounced this last time he asked the question. Um, I'm going to call you Jeremy. Um, <laughs> so apologies, but I'm not very good at French pronunciation. So he asked, where do you think the scale RC hobby will be in five years? Bigger. Probably true. I think it's going to just continue to grow. I really do. And we just, we keep getting better and better cars and products. And I mean, I don't know, like we've said all this year that, you know, this year is just going to be and has proven to be awesome as far as new releases go. And I think it's just, you know, it's going to keep, keep going you know you've got more players in the arena now and competition breeds innovation and you're going to see all these manufacturers trying to one-up each other and you know build a better mousetrap and uh i i think we're just going to continue to see more licensed stuff um more unique setups with suspension and things like that. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, this kind of actually goes right in line to, I guess we can kind of knock both out of the park here is that um, Tanner, um, another one, I I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Go, maybe? Um, I I say Go, but... Okay, well, correct correct me if I'm wrong, Tanner, but Tanner asked, uh, do you feel that Elements Entry into the crawling world has changed it? And I think that goes right in line with, you know, if, if we're going to look at, like, maybe the previous five years to help us answer what's what's coming. Um, I mean, yeah, Element element entering the game changed everything because it, in my opinion, out of the gate, it raised the bar. 
And now a lot of companies, I think, are holding themselves to higher standards because there is so much more competition. We talked about this on the last show where, like, before, when you had, like, the OG SEX, I mean, Axial was, like, the undisputed king of the game in terms yeah, of scaling. You had an SEX 10, and on occasion, there'd be a dude with a trail finder, and then the Ascender came out and you'd see an Ascender once in a while, but it by no means caught on the way that the SEX 10. No. So I think element has brought, I think a lot of new people to the hobby that were fans of team associated to start with. Um, I, we have a lot of new, and it, it seems pretty evident by the discussions that take place on the group pages and stuff for element. Um, yeah it seems like there is a lot of new guys that have uh, picked up a radio again because they used to race associated cars or they currently race associated cars. And so they bought an element. And uh, I, I, I think that the name really had opened a lot of doors for them as far as getting some market share. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I think you're just going to see more of what we've seen if, you know, if, what it's going to look like in five years. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I guess if I want to make like a bold prediction, I think that by the, you know, what, 2025, that's going to be, I think you're going to still have Axial. You're still going to have Element. They're both going to be killing it. I can't imagine what those cars are going to look like by that time. But you're probably going to have a a big number three. Maybe Red Cat finally catches up. Who knows? Um. I think that there will be another big one in the game somewhere and you're going to have yeah, I think a lot of competition right there. there. I, I would expect red cat to strengthen their, their footing. They're they slowly getting there and yeah, kind they, of kudos to them it's... because I, I think they know the direction they want to go, but they're not like just throwing a vehicle out there to try and compete with it immediately. Like I, I get the sense that red cat is slowly building up a platform that they think they can take to, you know, take to compete with both of these guys. Yeah, I, th- I think so. The red cat really their own worst enemy in all of this, their biggest competition that they have right now is just their own name. Yeah. You know, um, Traxxas, has always been something that was kind of laughed at by racers. Um, you saw a lot of Traxxas guys buy the TRX4 when it came out, and they, you know, I, I think Traxxas brought a fair share of uh, new interest to the Scale RC hobby with what they've released. Yeah. Um, Probably similarly to like what I guess I kind of forgot about Traxxas, but um, similarly kind of, to what kind of the same thing though, right? has. you know, it's like dude has a slash and he's like, oh, crawling looks fun since I already have a Traxxas and it doesn't break much or anything, you know, I'm gonna go and buy a TRX4 and run that. And, yep, and uh, I, I think um, Red Cat's biggest hurdle is going to be getting people to take them seriously, and that's kind of a very similar hurdle, I think, that. Traxxas had it first. Um, Perhaps, they, yeah. They still kind of do some weird things like the Mercedes and stuff like that that doesn't – it kind of makes you go, man, these guys don't quite get it yet. Um, I think the difference, though, is between Traxxas and Red Cat is that Traxxas made what people had already considered basically the undisputed crawler – or the undisputed um, basher machine. 
is that if that yeah. was your route, like Traxxas was the way to go. Traxxas has got like got a lot of people into RC as of late. Red Cat has the hysteria of being the like Walmart shelf brand. Yeah, like a Tyco. You know, they they get a car from whatever manufacturer and uh, you know factory, and then they just slap their name on it. It kind of yeah. It's not something that's designed specific to them. I think it was that way right up until the Gen Seven. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, that, you know, that's the hurdle. They're trying. They, they came out with that Windigo, and uh, you know, I I have yet to see somebody have one in person. But I mean, that I've seen quite a few guys with Red Cat Gen Eight Scouts and stuff, and they appear to be pretty happy with them and everything. So, I mean, it's I think they're gonna get there. It's just they're having to kind of reinvent themselves as a serious contender instead of kind of something that you kind of snicker about, you know? Yeah. I think they're and just that taking sounds their really time. Mean, but that's actually kind of what happened. No, it is, mean, it's exactly what happened and it's exactly it, it what they got to get terrible, over. terrible, but it's true. I think we see a big red cat release within the next year. I think maybe by spring yeah. next year, we see something from red cat where we're just like, Oh, these guys are serious. I would like to see in five years the portal trend die off. It's, it's, <laughs> just, it's not the answer to everything like people think. Like, oh, I'm going to throw portal. I think but there's so much more to it. Than I that. think people are slowly moving away from it. I figuring it out. I mean, I still see the whole post, you know, on element pages and stuff. Like, does anybody put TRX4 portals underneath this? Or it's like, man, why? Just yeah. don't. I don't. Again, after all this time, I don't really get the appeal. It, it, it's like anything, though. It, it it's there's always going to be an equal and opposite reaction for every action. And yeah, you've gained ground clearance. I mean, if hanging up your pumpkin was that big of an issue for you, maybe line selection is what you should be trying to uh, work on rather than just. <laughs> making your truck even taller yeah rolling over by sacrificing i mean to me sacrificing center of gravity for ground clearance is like the silliest thing i've ever heard of and i don't understand it and i don't know if people understand it or don't or they do and they just don't care (laughs) you know i guess it depends entirely on environment you know it's tough man like there's there's just there's a like even with scale RC, there's niches within scale RC that there's their own little subculture of these guys that are ultra ultra scale and they only do tiny tires and hard bodies. And then there's these guys that only do comp trucks that can conquer, you know, ridiculous terrain and don't really look scale. And, you know, there's, there's little groups within this big group and, for me, like, I, I know I was talking to Matt from Amain about it today because we were talking about how ProLine, and I didn't even tell you this yet, Trav, but I was checking out their site. They've discontinued all of their interiors. Yeah. And when I told Matt, he's like, what? What? Why? You know, I was like, I don't know. And Matt had the point. He's like, well, maybe it's holding up body production. You know, maybe that vacuum table being used for an interior, you know, for an interior is not as profitable for them when you could be spending that time doing a body that's going to outsell an interior, you know, 10 to one. I, I mean, I said that care about interiors. I kind of hinted at that last show is that like, look, they aren't a big operation. Machine time yeah, is very yeah. valuable so, there. So what he said kind of makes sense. Like I get that. And that that's kind of an explanation, but I mean, 
I'm still super disappointed about it. Um, for me, anything I build so far this year, everything I've done has had some sort of an interior in it, and it's like kind of a standard that I've set for myself that, okay, you know, you can build a truck that can crawl awesome, but it's not going to look scale. Like, I want to try and find that intersection on performance and scale looks. And so for that reason, like, you know, I've got kind of a list of things that it has to have. You know, it's got to have a nice wheel and tire package that's appropriate for what the use of the rig is. It's got to have an interior. It has to have some sort of lighting. And those are just standards that I've set myself for with my own builds um, because I think that it shows that you can kind of have all of these different things wrapped into one rig. You have got a rig that's going to perform well. It'll still do things that a one-to-one never would, but, you know, I want it to look realistic still. You know, I don't want you to look through the windows and just see, you know, daylight and stuff through them. I want it to be, you know, very scale. So for me, um, the interiors being discontinued was kind of a bummer. Like I'm probably more bummed out about it than most people would be because I mean, they were down to like one interior, which was like the PLT there for a bit, which is their Toyota interior. And even that's gone. And I used that PLT in the scout, the SR five, the Tacoma, the trail runner. Like I've used that interior and everything because it's a, it's a good fit and it fits a wide variety of bodies. And so, yeah. you know, it's like, that's pretty disappointing news for me. That's a big now, blow to us. Cause interiors have always been such a big part of what we do. Yeah. So that, I mean, honestly, like this sounds stupid, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely a little bit sad about it. You know, no, I think that's I really, fair. I really am. I think that's perfectly fair. But, you know, Matt had a great point, and I agree with him, and in no way, shape, or form can I fault ProLine for doing that because you got to make money to keep the doors open, and to make money, you got to make the right decisions and make the best out of what you got, and I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing. So This is true, um, but I think uh, these are, this is like one of those circumstances where this is something that I expect Horizon to fix because, like, I, I think there's... I think the machine time is a big part of it. And yeah, I mean, the interiors are going to move less than the bodies, no question. But it it's weird for me to wrap my head around any other idea of why they would be getting rid of their interiors. I mean, I, I can't really believe they sold that bad to where they weren't like worth making altogether. It probably, like I really do want to believe that it's just a, a consequence of too many other things that got to get made. Yeah, I would I, really hope yeah. that's the case because otherwise I could or, I wouldn't quite understand it. This is purely speculation, but then maybe they have something bigger and better in store. You know, where it's got actual seats and things like that. You maybe know, like they maybe, do. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's more of a three D interior. So who knows? Maybe um, they're getting rid of that to come out with something bigger and better. We don't know. You know, we can only speculate on it. But I'll kind of quietly keep my fingers crossed, hoping that that's the case. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Chris Trudeau, uh, he asked, how many more SOR products are you working on, Sheesh? <laughs> you all been busy in the lab, and selfishly, which rigs are getting the plates? Yeah, so if you guys didn't see our Facebook page um, for both the ScaleRC show and TrackWalk, um, we got an awesome fan gift from our buddy Chris, who... 
this really caught us off guard. And uh, we were hoping that he could have made it up to the drag race on Saturday, but yeah, he was able to get something via courier delivered to us. So, um, no, it was pretty awesome. So we had a, a really cool surprise from Chris that between myself, uh, Jay, Adam, and then, uh, Colin, who's, you know, my co-host on the other show, um, he had us all custom plates made for the, um, from, was it RC plate shop or plate RC shop? I think it was RC plate shop. RC plate shop. Yeah. And, um, that had them all custom done. You know, I had one that said SOR Trav and, um, and then the other one that said track walk and, so it was pretty, pretty awesome. So, um, Collins was pretty funny. I think it was, um, God, what did it say? It was a Canadian joke, something a, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to get a picture of it. I didn't, I didn't peek at it before I gave it to Colin, you know, but, um, so funny, it was pretty awesome. I, um, so no, that was super, super awesome and, and totally unnecessary, but really thoughtful for him to do that. So thank you, Chris. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was so unexpected and like, not to sound all mushy and stuff, but like, honestly, like it, it's kind of rad knowing that like somebody cared enough or thought about us enough to do something like that, you know, like that, that was just really, really unexpected and such a kind gesture. Um, I, I think my, um, scout is definitely going to get one of them. I just haven't decided which yet. I really want to put them on the Bronco, but I realized looking at the Bronco that it has a front and rear plate, not a deal breaker, but that's where I'm like, I'm struggling. Cause then it's like, okay, well if I take both of those off and then I got to choose one of the ones that I got, I don't know which one I want to put on it. So I'm, I don't know. I'm torn at the moment. I'm not quite sure which direction I want to go. It is going to go on a rig um, because there's one more that's coming, but I, I have not made up my mind yet. They're sitting on my desk. I'm looking at them right now as, uh, as we do the show. <laughs> so I got to, I got to figure that out. Um, I suppose if I was still doing the drag racing thing, one of them would have gone on the drag car, maybe the track walk one. I'm too afraid to lose one on the drag. Yeah. That, how they scrape the ground so much and everything like that. That's like, a good I point. I <laughs> don't want anything to happen. To the way things were going for me in the drag racing at the end, I'm not quite sure if that's uh if that would have been a good move. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> I think the scout and something else, probably the scout and like the trail runner, the trail runner is only going to see light duty. So that would be a good one to put it on so that nothing happens to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As far as, how many new SOR products are coming out with? Well, I'm <laughs> it remains Dude, to be Dude, there's seen. so much still. Like, I was talking to Eric Warren today. Um, we, we actually talked on the phone. It was really cool. So I actually oh, nice. got to, you know, put a voice to the name and everything. So, you know, now we've got even more of a, you know, like a personal relationship. And we were uh, talking today, and I felt really bad because there's something that I need to do for him. And we've just been going a hundred miles an hour this mm-hmm. year and I haven't had the chance to. And, uh, so I felt really bad, but I mean, dude, we we're definitely burning the candle at both ends. I mean, we, there's, I mean, there's stuff that's in the pipeline that nobody really even knows about yet. 
and there's stuff that, I mean, we've been trying to release a minimum of like one new thing a week. And in some cases we've had like two or three because I get excited and it's like, oh, I can't wait to show everybody, you know, this is cool. Can't wait to get this out, get it posted to the store, let people see it, you know, generate some excitement. So I, uh, I don't space them out as much as I probably should as far as releases <laughs> go. But then again, it's also parts, not an actual car. So I don't know, like there, there's kind of, I know, I'm sure there's sort of a formula used by people in the industry where they only release certain things at certain times and they have that list of release dates probably mapped out months in advance. Um, you know, I know that's the case with element at least. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if we need to even worry about that. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, the thing that I think we need to remember is that, we are a company that has to be extremely reactive to trends. We can't pre-plan a lot of things because yeah. by the time, like if we were to, you know, make 10 products and then we space out the releases of 10 products across 10 weeks, right? Like ahead of time, right? Yeah. Like we have it scheduled. By the time something comes out, we could have missed the window on them selling at their best potential. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's and, something that's hard for us in terms of of vinyl products in particular. Well, and you, the other thing too is like you don't want to like release things too close together and have one thing completely overshadow something else that you know is a good product that's going to move. Well, yeah, I think like, our fair leads were a good example of that. Yeah, you where know, we were so like, we were so excited to just get them that the release of the EPX and then the release of that. I mean, the EPX just casted a massive shadow over the. Uh, over the fair leads, which is a bummer because like they're a cool product, but the EPX was just that much cooler. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where we just really, I mean, obviously we kind of have personnel issues here because, (laughs) you know, we are not staffed large, but like you really got to be on social media all the time posting stuff up you know it's like not like you know, come up with something new and post it once and then on to the next thing and I've been guilty of that on several different things that we've come out with and I really need to go back and like post the fair leads again and like keep everything that you've got fresh in people's mind and kind of recirculating on your social media yeah so that all of it gets enough love but I mean that in itself is a pretty big undertaking honestly i mean yeah um you can spend all day on facebook because you know it's like somebody will ask a question on something you posted so it's like you have to like actively keep looking through your notifications so that you can get those questions and stuff answered because nobody really uses email or anything like <laughs> yeah. that you know consider so our really perspective hard. yeah consider our perspective maybe for people who don't know us as a company quite as well is that like Jay and I are completely remote of each other. And basically, (laughs) as of late, every time we've actually gotten together, there's been a video that comes out of it. So, which is cool, and we hope to continue that. But basically, we work entirely remote of each other. So that means that all of the vinyl products and a lot of, like, the accessory stuff all is him and remains entirely with him. And then putting stuff on the store ends up being, you know, with him. So for me, then what we've 
you know, then the other part of it is in the past, we've kind of jokingly called it our, our skunk works res, you know, that resides with me here in, in Bothell, which is on a good day, an hour away. So, and that's where we do all of our hard parts development, which the EPX was not the last of our hard parts. A lot more is coming. So, you know, this is where we do the hard parts development. This is where, um, you know, obviously when we go out, we shoot somewhere and I come back and I do all the video work here and take care of the large volume of sales emails. Most of it, basically everything that doesn't specifically require an answer from Jay, um, which is generally just specific production stuff, just stuff that I cannot influence. So I can't answer. So, and, and, I mean, basically that, I mean, I guess there's a customer service aspect to that too, but we don't really get that much anymore. So I would say that we have a very unusual dynamic that we make work. It's not ideal when he, you know, and that's what he means when he says we have personnel issues just because the, the spread of everything is very strange and it's, what do you do? You know, especially in RC, it's, you can't just like hire people off the street and what we do is way too specific. So it's like, even if you could find somebody, it's not a minimum wage job. So. Yeah. And that's, what's hard. It's like, you really can find yourself in a position financially where you definitely do need the help, but you just don't have the funds to be able to hire another helper. Like there is that kind of purgatory area where yeah. you're stuck in between and we've, we've been stuck in between for a really long time, but, but as of late, it's exponentially gotten better. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, we've actually, you know, it's allowed us to streamline our process. It's created us to make different products than we had ever really considered making before, because you have to, you know, convenience has to be a big thing with people and, (laughs) you know, like with wraps and stuff, not everybody's confident in their ability to put one on. So how do you adapt to that and, you know, be able to service those people too? And then that's when, you know, the uh, universal decal kits came into play, you know, stuff like that. So it's like everything's just constantly evolving really here, you know, when you think about it. I mean, like, we're always constantly changing what we do and what we make and, you know, and it's always in search of, you know, a better experience for the customer, a better experience for us and ultimately making stuff that people have a lot of fun with, you know, and can kind of personalize their rig to reflect their own tastes and personality. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think that obviously the dream is that, you know, I get to eventually walk away from my day job and do this full time. So, and then yeah. shit, then I, stuff's I, really going to be cooking. <laughs> yeah, I so, feel like that isn't far off. So that part's cool. Yeah, that that's and that's a really exciting prospect. So this is the fact that things are sort of ramping up in a way that you know it's been a long time coming, but I think we're really hitting our stride right now. And then the fact that you know, there is a possibility that like, look, we can elevate that further. So that's pretty cool. And I think that has us both excited. And so maybe that's why this year, especially amongst all the craziness, um, we've done rather well and we've adapted really well. Um, the only thing that's like, we've, I think we really misstepped, which largely was outside of our control was the EPX restocking timeline because, 
we didn't it was kind of weird so when epx came out what happened was is that like we didn't really know what to expect because this was like our first entry into like the parts game so you know we were selling one a day two a day and i was like a little bummed out at first because like i for the hype that we had coming out for these i was really expecting them to just sort of fly off the shelves and i hadn't really realized how quickly the numbers add up because we were sold out in two weeks and (laughs) so by that time like we before i even had a chance to talk to you know to talk to my vendor we sold out which unfortunately was just I waited, unfortunately, just long enough that our vendor got all of his machines tied up with a um, job that locked his machines up for five months. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, yeah. he ended up, um, because like I said, he we've touched on this in the past, he's the guy who also manufactures all the One Army stuff for you racer guys. And so fortunately, he was able to acquire another CNC, which meant that we were able to get our stuff sort of expedited, um, which then... Of course, that means that now, like I can say, like good news, they're finally on the way. And then now we're not going to have to wait nearly as long for them to get restocked. So that was a bummer. But I, we've also been fortunate, too, where like, look, we've I think we've maybe impacted enough people like with that and with our other products that like we haven't had them since May. It's been over four months, yeah. been over three months and people still want them. So that's pretty cool. But I mean, in hindsight, that's definitely an area where I think. Yeah, that would have been awesome, but you know, um, you know, so that's coming too. And then that means that that's just the way that people received that. We're like, awesome. We can stay in the parts game now. And so more is coming and I can't tell you what any of it is yet, but oh my God, it's going to be cool. So you guys thought EPX was rad. Just wait. So yeah, there's going to be a lot more. Oh yeah. So, um, with that, Chris had another question. He said, how's that IFS build treating you? And thoughts on the Gladiator release for the SCX 10.3? Who didn't see that coming? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the Gladiator's rad. I was pretty, I'm pretty happy to see that. I think that's awesome. And they did a fantastic job on it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot closer. I mean, I this God, the Gladiator is such a weird vehicle in person because it is the proportions are so strange. So getting it right, I was like a little bit bummed out at first, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I think that's probably the best they absolutely could have done because that yeah, is such a weird vehicle. The wheel to try and was necessary to make that happen, and I was actually really happy to see the hundred percent change. Hundred like percent, it, it needed it to look right. Yeah, no, I I think it's rad. Um, I really liked the they like I said. I think they made their absolute best effort to make it look as scale as possible, and so like lengthening that wheelbase. I I can't wait to see one in person because yeah, yeah. it's going to be ridiculous looking in a cool way. Yeah, like absolutely. I am really excited to see one actually. So yeah. Um, what was the other half of his question? IFS build. How's that treating you? Um, I'm assuming he's talking about the Tacoma. Must be because I don't. I doesn't ring a bell for me. I thought we finished. That thing is pretty rad. Um, hopefully you saw the video, but that thing has just. It's like 
I find something new to love about it every time I drive it. Like every time I've driven that thing, it ends up impressing me even more and I just have a blast driving it. And I really want to get it to a spot with some ridiculous terrain to really test some of its crawling ability. But I mean, man, as it stands right now, I, I got to say it's probably every bit as good as my solid axle cheater truck is with the EPX kit on it. Like it is a damn good truck it but, works really well oh yeah i mean that one thing i think that that video that we released this week i think one thing that that captured was just that that thing really can crawl like yeah. <laughs> that yeah, oh, yeah. that is not yeah. an easy course and so mm-hmm. for everything that everyone says about how ifs can't do this and can't do that it absolutely shredded that course it there were so many there were so many points in that video where like even like me watching it as I put the thing together, I'm like kind of clenching a little bit like, man, like that's a sketchy situation he's in right there. (laughs) It, it got out. It is a very well balanced truck. That thing, the best word I can find to describe what it's like to drive is that it's very planted. Um, Yeah. Even seeing it go through stuff, fast you know like at high speed which is super funny because it's almost comically fast for being a 35 turn brush motor yeah like, the thing is a little rocket ship it was, but, it was really hard to follow videoing it because it's yeah. like oh my god this thing hauls that <laughs> suspension works so good if you watch it going fast in the video the tires rarely ever even leave the ground like that thing is just stuck to the earth and it works so stinking good it's yeah. just it's so much fun, and I think part of the fun behind it is the fact that people are like, oh, they break, it's not durable, I've had nothing but problems, this isn't for me, I'm getting rid of it, it's stupid, it's not going to work as good. Like, yeah, part of that video was made to, like, kind of shut some people up, honestly. <laughs> like, a, a, lot of, a lot of the reason behind it was to kind of prove a point. And um, I think it did. Now we're going to go do some really gnarly technical crawling with it. And I think that'll really show what those trucks are capable of. But yeah. it it's just, I don't know. I mean, we're mobbing it through rock beds and we're not having rod ends pop off. We're not having binding issues, which I'm very confident the binding issues are because guys aren't adjusting their EPA or don't know what EPA is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it, I don't know. It's been durable. I mean, that's the pre-release IFS. I mean, so that was like one of the first ones out, you know, before they ever even hit the market. And there's, I haven't had a part fail on any element rig. Yeah. Which, you know, like uh, that, it's kind of surprising, especially with like the high speed stuff like that. Like, yeah, it kind of feels like we should have broken something pretty good. I kind of, yeah. Like I, I, part of me did kind of expect us to break something. We were shooting that video just cause some of the stuff, it was just like, like you could see that happening and it just never did. Yeah. It's just been, it's durable as all hell. It's fun to drive. It's well balanced. I mean, and it handles speed awesome. I really, really want to build an I, uh, IFS U4 truck because I, I'm really happy with how that IFS ses, the system performs at speed. Like, it's yeah. really, really good. I so, could not believe how well it did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really fun. Um, if anyone, you know, wants to build one or has any questions about it or anything like that, I've got a ton of time on that rig and uh, know it pretty well inside and out. 
So, uh, you know, feel free to hit me up and ask me, you know, set up questions, spring raids, oil, things like that. Cause I, I, I think that I really have kind of achieved like the magic combination with that truck. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, our next one says, uh, it's from Alex Sims. He says, more of a request than a question. I enjoy when you guys talk about your crawling experiences, trips to Axial Fest, small trail runs, etc. Also, it's fascinating to hear about the history of RC. I'm only a year into RC, and it's all still new to me. Thanks. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. I don't know if I misread the question. I'm not quite sure where the request is, but I guess maybe. I, I think he's requesting that we... More stories. Yeah, just Yeah, you know, just more stories and stuff. And it, it's something we've talked about doing too. Um, I think one of the things we're going to try and do, we've got a trip planned that is going to completely revolve around uh, videoing um, our RC experience and what it's like kind of for us behind the scenes when we go to do product shots and things. Um, I think it'd be really fun to start, you know, when we're doing that trip. Um do some like video diaries for the podcast page, you know, each day, like just kind of give a little video update of what we've done and kind of, you know, like just find some ways to help immerse people in the experience that we're having. So, you know, to, cause there's guys like him that, you know, evidently he cares about, you know, what he likes hearing about what we do and stuff like that. And, you know, Hey, we want to try and give that to them. So yeah. that, that's kind of something that we're we're definitely going to be working on more video content and just being more interactive with people and, like I said, kind of share our RC experiences with you guys. Hundred percent. Oh, that'll be cool. Um, Jeremy Kim asked, which we already covered, but just just so I get his question in, uh, what is your opinion on the twenty fourth scale from Element? Um, it's, it's rad. It's Can't rad. Lose. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Um, and then I got to pull up the rest of this here cause it's all sort of spread around. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, Jeremy Joseph Olson. He says, what do you guys each think will be the next big RC trend, AKA Christmas list must have or whatnot. God, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, really the only like trend i can think of that's going on right now is just portals you know portals are on everybody's mind and it's kind of a fad right now so yeah i mean it, mm. it really i mean aside from that it seems like it's kind of business as usual i mean axial went and tried to pack a lot more features into their platform to kind of level the playing field with traxis and all of the crazy bells and whistles they have with theirs yeah um, yeah i think the 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 features they added to the SCX 10.3 I think are more practical than what the Traxxas has. Um, we actually had a TRX 4 for work and I think we had it for about a month and ended up selling it but during that time that we had it we really didn't utilize I mean we didn't utilize the locking and unlocking diffs didn't utilize cruise control didn't utilize the high and low speed, you know, the two speed. Yeah, so much of it is there. It's like, okay, I guess that's cool. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it, though. Yeah, like Axial, they have the two speed trans, which, okay, you know, for some trail stuff or you want to be funny and hit a route and jump your truck or something, you know, (laughs) the the two speed's kind of cool in the SCX 10.3 for that. Um, 
it as a dig, which is way more useful than having locking and unlocking diffs. Yeah, I agree so with that. I think I, the dig I is think cool. That, that's cool. It's a weird rig to have a dig in because you don't really see, you know, many Jeeps off the showroom floor that are daily driven or anything have, you know, crawler specific things. And when I say crawler, I'm talking, you know, like made in a shop, fabricated from the ground up. You know, those are typically all you see with a dig. You don't really you know, see a new gladiator with one, but it's convenient and it's a really cool tool and it's useful. Um, I, for me, all the molded plastic and stuff they're doing, like what Traxxas did with like fender liners and these integrated shock towers and stuff. I make such drastic changes to the rigs that I build that really the older SCX 10, to SCX 10.1 and the Enduro, those platforms fit what I do a little bit better because there's not a lot of extra junk all over the chassis, you know? Like, you can add Lexan fender liners to the element if you want to, um, but really, I mean, it's a nice open-air platform with a lot of space and not a lot of stuff crammed into a small area that you've got to figure out what you can keep, what you can lose, you know, in order to achieve whatever it is you're trying to build. So I really hope that element doesn't cave and go that route and start throwing all these different features in because it is kind of nice to have this somewhat blank canvas that you get with their cars, you know? Yeah. So from, from a builder standpoint, I prefer more basic vehicles, I should say. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, that concludes all of our questions, though. So Yeah, not, not bad. bad. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, yeah, for for being such a last minute thing, it almost kind of felt like we were doing a live show. Someone messaged us asking if we were doing a live show, but I, you know, I started thinking about. It, I was like, that would be kind of cool, but I think we'll I do know. one at some point. But yeah, yeah, they get tonight weird. wasn't the <laughs> night with the subject matter that we've that we're kind of covering. So. Yeah, the last time that I did a live show like impromptu on track walk, it wasn't that great. Just it felt yeah. weird the whole time. So, well, you kind of just end up. It can be kind of distracting because, like, everyone has, like, their questions and comments and stuff. And so it's like you almost spend the entire time <laughs> scrolling through and answering stuff. Well, it's difficult because as you're talking, yeah, as you're talking, yeah, you're, yeah. you're reading people chime in and stuff like that. And if someone, like, in the middle of what you're saying has, like, a really good point that, like, was relevant at this moment but is not relevant when you finish your sentence, it's, like, it's difficult and you don't want to keep backtracking. So yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's really you're, difficult you're to do. back to a subject that you've already covered. Yeah. So it, it's hard. I mean, like, maybe once in a while a for fun one, you know, just to connect with people would be cool. But when you actually have, like, kind of an, an agenda laid out, it's a little tough to try and yeah. accomplish accomplish that with a live show you sort of have to pretend that people aren't there is yeah, what i figured out yeah, like the exactly. first time i did that that's what i kind of had to do it was like more like radio where like yeah, i really, really didn't have any that. feedback from listeners during that like i did but i made a conscious effort to not immediately respond to it and then if i said something later then it was you know i, I could kind of tie it in but the second time we did it i just found my i just found myself continue to get interrupted by comments 
And so it just, it's hard. I got about an hour into the episode and I was just like, man, can we wrap and end this? Cause this isn't very much fun. (laughs) So (laughs) ever since then, I've been a little bit apprehensive, but I could see it being kind of fun. I would love to do something like if we do a live show, I would want it to be done remote. You think at an event? Yeah. At an event. Yeah. Like that would be, that would be sick actually. That would be a lot more fun because then you, there's at least fun things you can do with sound. Um, even if we don't cool to interview people too, you know, well, like yeah. somebody's walking by, just pull them over and like, Hey, what do you think? What are you doing? What's been your favorite part this weekend? Are you, you know, what are you driving? Tell us about your, you know, like, yeah. Well, even if it's not product. like that would be really fun. Yeah. Even if it's not streamed live, you can still kind of get that sort of atmosphere where like, Hey, we're at an event. You can kind of hear the sort of outdoors event noises going on with people passing by and things like that. And, and you can video it and things like that. So it does feel special. I think that was one of the things that we wanted to do for by the fire. If you know, we were going to go. So that, I mean, that's, that's something that I would like to see happen eventually, but I mean, the world's got to get back to normal first. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. So I guess then we're what an hour 20 in, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, we, the questions actually, I mean, they kind of slowly kept coming as, uh, as we were talking. So, which is rad. Um, I don't know. How do you want to approach this? Because like, do we, I mean, it's an hour 20, so I'll leave it up to you. Do we even want to cover this or, I mean, do we just dive right in because, um, I'm on the fence here. talking and see what happens. Okay. Yeah. So, this last weekend at Die Hard RC, it was our very first NPRC cash day. And so um, Brett Wilson, he and Brenda owned Die Hard RC, and they had reached out to another NPRC chapter and invited them up, you know, to hang out and check out, you know, where we race at and stuff. And I think we'd already been to, you know, not, I say we, not, including myself, but like they had already gone and uh, participated in one of those other clubs, cash days and stuff. And so just kind of trying to return the favor and like grow the community and stuff like that and invite people out and then, you know, go to their next one and vice versa and kind of grow the scene. And uh, it, it, I had an absolute blast. It was great. It was um, a cool event. It itself, a like it was really yeah, cool. I, event. I got to see a lot of people that I'd never, uh, you know, that I haven't seen in many years. And then, um, a really good customer is Freddie Cruz. I got to, uh, meet him in person finally and introduce him to you, Trav and stuff. And yep. so that was really cool getting to see Freddie and stuff. So it was just nice, you know, and I just kind of spent the SOR at a booth there and I kind of spent the day over in our booth or beside the track, just watching the races and, I actually had, I'm not much for watching RC races. Like I'll watch worlds and stuff. And, you know, if I'm racing locally, like I'll try and catch whatever, you know, the big classes at that race, I'll try and catch their A main and watch that. But typically I'm not really somebody who likes to watch. I like to do. So I actually really had a lot of fun watching all the drag races because I don't know, it's, it's such a roll of the dice, even, you know, 
somebody making it down the track without incident. Like, you know, you're talking big horsepower numbers with cars that, you know, you're struggling to put that traction to the ground and anything can happen. And a lot of times it kind of does, you know, somebody will hit the timing box and go flying or jump the pipe. And I mean, it's like, there's just always some sort of carnage. And so you just, you never know what you're going to miss. So you find yourself really engaged in, watching drag racing and I really really like that I I had a lot of fun doing it and so my my day was great you know I uh, had bought back into the loser bracket and uh, it was a really close race that I had lost and it was fun and you know told the guy in the other lane you know hey thanks good race man that was a good time and you know it was just all smiles and fun from what I saw on my end and uh I reached out yesterday to Brett and Brenda. I was like, hey, if you talk to them, you know, have you talked to the other club to, you know, kind of get a feel for how things went? And, you know, did they have fun? Did they enjoy it? Did they like the facility? Are they excited to go and do this again? You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking everything's great. Well, as it turns out, there was some drama and if you follow the NPRC scene on Facebook then you're probably no stranger to drama because what for whatever reason people are trying to emulate like street outlaws and it just doesn't work with toy cars because it ends up being something you just end up like kind of laughing at rather than taking seriously so like these guys that get so into it, like I'm not saying don't get into it and really get involved in the hobby and love it, but the whole like persona and trash talking thing and stuff, like it's super, super corny when it comes to toy cars. Like anybody off the street is going to take one look at that and be like, oh my God, you guys are a joke. Like, are you serious? Like you're trying to get all like hardcore and, you know, get all hood over racing RC cars like toy cars come on you know so it's super cheesy and that's something that I hope will end up weeding itself out and disappearing at some point but uh but it is entirely why I am not actively in no prep now because there is a huge problem with the community and it's so dumb it is so dumb it is so toxic I that's why I gave up my NPRC seat and I just walked away because I was like dude this is stupid the, the outroar of just everything, anything that happens. I mean, like, some, it's just stupid. Absolutely stupid. And the thing is, is, like, one thing that cracks me up about the no prep scene is that this features a lot of people who we, like, we thought that it was something cool that, like, like, Colin and I talked about this on my show, is that... We we thought it was cool that like people could come in who weren't particularly quick um, in other parts of RC and could come into no prep and be competitive. It was as a completely different base of people that were like the top guys, and that's awesome because it, you know it gets boring seeing the same people dominate you know over and over again. You go to club race throughout a season; it's largely the same people who are doing well. It's not like yeah. it's a total crapshoot, right? You know, at least no prep. Yes, there are fast people, but it's a little bit more, I would say, random. You know, because there's just, it's easier to have things go wrong for you. It doesn't take much. So 
With that, though, I think there's a lot of people who came in who really thought they knew RC. And yeah, really, there's new. a lot of new people. There's a lot of new people. Around. People and they don't like to admit it, but they know jack shit about no, anything. Just because, <laughs> yeah, really, just because really what it boils down to just because you're that act like they know and they don't. Just because you're a quick no prep guy, that does not give you basis anywhere. If you've been in RC for five years, well, guess what? You haven't been in RC that long. Yeah, you. I mean that that is the harsh reality. So I look uh, in this whole situation and what what we're talking about here is that I need to preface this with this. All right. Is that the person. The person who. Is kind of getting dragged through the mud in all this. Who happens is who is my co-host on track walk who I work with side, you know, side by side every day at work. Right. Who's a team driver for us. Okay. And he's Matt, and he happens to be the. I think he's the U.S. team manager for Macklin. Okay, neither Jay or myself or Adam have any ties remotely to Macklin whatsoever. I haven't used their stuff since they were Viper, which was 2014. Okay, now what 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 needs to be understood here is that like there's a lot of context that people don't don't have because if you're coming into this show and you've heard a little bit about what's gone on with like wise people are suddenly dumping Macklin product it's because of what happened here okay so let let me give you kind of the synopsis of of what happened at the event itself okay is that now if you know Brett and Brenda and you know what has kind of been the philosophy of Die Hard it is very much a family oriented thing and I think that Brett and Brenda got the rude awakening on Saturday that no prep is not a family, like a family and friends and fun part of the hobby. It yeah, is about dudes bad. who want to go win cash somewhere and be quick and talk shit because everyone thinks it's street outlaws. So initially we're like, okay, this is awesome because the people who came up from down South who a lot of our community had gone down and supported when they had cash races down south um, in Olympia and Vancouver, where we are, um, we thought it was awesome that so many of them came up to, to be at our race. And so your, your initial thought was, okay, that's awesome. They came up all the way up here and they're going to support what we're doing. Well, it kind of, as the day sort of went on, the air started to get more tense because our strip is a little difficult. It's, you know, we, we call it the dragon's back for a reason. There's not a lot of grip and it's a pretty old piece of road. So it's, it's pretty, as far as I understand. So it's pretty, pretty rough, not exactly, you know, flat or, you know, not, not anything close to resembling like a well-groomed strip. So guys came up here and struggled because it is no nothing what close to what they're used to, okay? So as their guys started to slowly get eliminated, the air got more and more tense. And by the finals, Brett had to call... The finals were made up of Tyler Wilbur and Randy Lee, who are two locals to us. And that that is a key point, which, you know, those two being in the finals that I'll touch on later. Okay, and Brett basically had to herd all the guys that came up from down south over just to watch the finals and when the finals were over not a single person walked over to congratulate tyler on the win not a single person so maybe it happened after the event but all i saw when that was over was everyone just walking back to their pits the local guys came over and said congratulations but there is definitely a clear tensity in the air that their guys had been eliminated 
And some of the fast ones were eliminated fairly early. Right? It's just welcome to no prep. That's how it goes. So, and now, okay, so granted, uh, let me try and be in as, as ambiguous as possible with the context. And that is um, basically, uh, Colin is the, the Macklin team manager, okay? And they were working on something, and I, I don't really know if I'm supposed to know what it is, but they were working on something that was still very much in pre-release that hadn't gone to the team yet. Colin hasn't been that tenured at Macklin in terms of his, his role as team manager. So, I, I mean, from my perspective, I could understand that he probably doesn't have a great rapport with a lot of the team yet in terms of people he can trust, in terms of people who can test things, and people who can, who can um, like, really give positive feedback, right? Because the thing is, it's like, what you got to remember is, like, when, if you're a team guy for somebody and you raise your hand up that you want to test something, you need to be like completely clear-cut and honest and be able to give good, reliable feedback as far as what it is you're testing. And you need to understand the language that they're speaking to you. What's that? You need to understand the language that yeah. they're speaking when it comes to testing stuff. Yeah, most people who want who end up raising their hand are people who look in reality, they want to feel important and they want to have new stuff and, and, you know, be the guy that, you know, we kind of joke in the past about having the, having the towel over your car in the pits, right? If you have stuff that, that isn't public yet and people aren't supposed to see, and you know, like there's, there's that that's supposedly fun. Right. And so people raise their hand because they want to quote unquote test stuff and they don't really know what they're looking for. So nine times out of 10, they go back and say, Hey, it's great. Awesome. Thanks, man. And that's not what they're looking for. Okay, so, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I can just say it because it was kind of hinted at in the post. They were working on software, and the software was very much in pre-release. So Colin, being local to a drag scene, who have two, we have two really knowledgeable kids, like, well, I guess not kids. One of them is fairly young, um, Ashen. I think he's like 18. Um, but you have Ashen and Tyler, who who anybody who knows either of those are really knowledgeable people. And if you've ever had a conversation with Tyler Wilbur about anything RC, you know that that guy knows basically anything and everything there is to, about what you're talking about with him. Just yeah, about. He, he has like a freakishly scientific understanding of damn near everything. Yeah about an RC. He is an absolute sponge of setup, whether it's suspension, he can tell you what changes are going to do what to a car. Like he is probably one of the smartest people I know when it comes to car setup. Yep. Yep. And that makes him, that plays a big role into, you know, how competitive he can be. And it has been in this no prep thing. Okay. But look, he, he, but he's like, you got to understand this guy we're talking about, Tyler he is normally one of the top guys at anything RC he decides he wants to do, yep. whether it's flying, drone racing, off-road racing, nitro eighth scale, no prep drag racing. Like The guy can do when, it all. Yeah, when he decides to do something, he will learn and understand every single thing there is to know about it. And he ends up being the guy to beat no matter where he decides to throw his hat into the ring at. Yeah, just about. So, yeah, and, and and so because he can speak the language, all right, Colin needed people 
because like this was only like a week ago as, as I understand it. So Colin needed people that he knew could give him really realistic feedback, stuff that was reliable that he could move forward with. Okay. And so he, um, Tyler and Ashen are not Macklin team drivers. Okay. But he decided he was going to load on their software anyways, um, which required special tools and everything to do because it's not done yet. And, you know, put it on their cars and, you know, needed the feedback. And it was completely consequential that it was ahead of this cash race this weekend because the the, the software, as I understand it, was supposed to be out this week, um, which, and it may have already been out by the time this episode comes out. So, and Colin wasn't at this race. He flew down to Arizona. And as from what I remember, and I, I don't know what or how or why, but he, they they found things in the software that needed adjustment, and so did Tyler, and so did Ashen. So they did their jobs. They found those things, okay? Well, it just so happens that Tyler wins this race this weekend, okay? Not a big surprise. Not a big surprise at all, you know? So there were a couple times where the races looked really close, and he, he pulled it out right at the end. But... I mean, we weren't shocked to see him in the finals. I mean, he's gone down there and been in the finals, and he lost going down there. But, I mean, I, the point being is the kid's quick. Yeah, he's a top contender in anything he does. Yeah. And always will be. But it's not just the driving ability. It's the fact that he's smart, too. You know, like, yeah, that's the big very. difference. He, he knows he knows the language because he's been in RC a long time, and he's paid attention. That's the, that's the key point here, okay? So in the finals, you had a car that had that software, Tyler, and that didn't, which was Randy, another local, okay? Randy made it to the finals fine, and he just he was out because of his own accord because he crossed the line like 15 feet in. And disqualified himself, so that automatically handed Tyler the win. So it clearly, I mean, I dare I say, I don't think the software was a hindrance not having it. Um, some people didn't feel that way, so you know, I and like I said, I won't, I won't say the names, but look, there was a driver, and, and to be fair, he's a he's a teenager, he's a teenager, and you know, he's been in RC three, four years maybe, um, and. <sighs> He he drives he he drove for Macklin, and so he and his family and everyone else kind of around them in that group were pretty chafed that once they caught wind that you know these guys who weren't team drivers had this software and they didn't that they were pretty chafed as and that was just amplified when Tyler won the race, which this this kid though was not in the finals. No, he had he been eliminated pretty early. He didn't lose the early. finals due to not having the no, software. He no. didn't make the finals to begin with, and someone that did not have the software also, just like him, no. made the finals as well, but he just happened to lose because of crossing the He line. struggled most of the day, so as a lot of their quick guys did because of the surface. So, because, I mean, look like we have time on it. They don't. I mean, if we're going to talk advantages here. You can say yeah. the same thing for going down there. Although, I I mean, to be fair, I would say it is a higher learning curve coming to our track than it is going to theirs because of how unique our surface is. But, okay, point being, all that happens. They catch wind that they have this software and they're not team drivers. And, like, look, there is a legitimate point to be made here that, like, should should this have the software been distributed to the team 
first, or at least certain people on the team first because of, you know, that's kind of why you have a team. Yeah, there is an absolute argument there. And I think that that has been recognized as something that was maybe a bad call. Um, But at the same time, I understand why it was done because like you said, you need reliable feedback because if you go down the wrong path, that can be dangerous. And like, look, when you're a teenager, companies are just not apt to give you things to test because you probably aren't going to, I mean, think about it this way. If this were five years ago, all this would have been happening. They probably, I mean, it probably would not have been given to Tyler just because of how young he would have been. True. And he probably knows, I mean, granted, like the, it's it, obviously RC has expanded in terms of what he's been doing, but I mean, he was very knowledgeable then. So it's like, but when you're a teenager, like, look, you just, I mean, it's especially if you've only been RC a couple of years, you don't have the intuition and the, I think the know-how to really be able to provide substantive feedback. You just don't. I mean, you're just, you're not given things like that when you're that young. If you are, it's because you're going out there and winning races and you are like their next big guy nationally. Yeah, I'm sort of, you know, I'm not nationally you know, another local. Kid. Yeah. You're like a CJ Jellen, like someone who is like 12 years old and competing at a world championship level. Like that is, that is the difference here. Okay. And I'm like, you know, and I'm trying to like be as tactful as I can. Cause I can understand like there's, there's a lot of emotions in this because you know, that the kid's 15. So Anyways, what this sparked was that they, you know, they were they were pretty upset about this and they dropped so they dropped Macklin. And you know, they were like, all right, and you know, I could tell Colin was kind of having a rough day at work yesterday and I could see that this was affecting him a lot just because a lot of things were kind of being thrown around. And and you know, Colin was trying to sort of explain his position and all of it. But then last night, this post gets made. And it is just an absolute tear on Macklin where it is this kid is saying that he's done with RC in general and that, um, that, you know, he, he was very unhappy with how he was treated at Macklin and that, you know, he had a large following in the products because of him, which is true, um, in his area. That is true. Um, but that he had a you know a large following because of the products and you know the three years he ran for Macklin were the best years his cars ever seen and all this stuff and everything else. But like you know he he said it was unacceptable basically the way that he had been treated and like look I'm I'm a bit of a you know I'm a tight ass when it comes to like sponsorship stuff. Like I am not a guy that messes around when it comes to sponsorships because like, look, look at it from our perspective, like SOR dude, we can't afford to mess around with people who like, you know, that, that aren't taking it seriously because it is our bread and butter. It's not like it's a side project or fun. And we're like just helping people out. Like, no, if you're here, you're here for a purpose, especially if you asked to be here. Okay. And so I, I saw that and I, I was like, Hey, like this is the absolute, wrong way to approach this even if you think it is not your fault because i get why they would be upset i do it, because like look in reality i i don't know if it would have gone to them because again like the you know kid's 15 what is he going to be able to tell you but also a good kid or not it doesn't matter i mean that, that's just that's just part of it it's qualification it's qualification yeah, that's exactly not, it. Not a personality contest. No, not at all. So <laughs> if it was a personality contest, most of RC struggles. Okay. So if you, <laughs> the, so I saw that and it was upsetting to me. 
because one, it's a, it's a tear on somebody who was just trying to do the best thing for the company who was, I mean, like the stuff comes out this week. It would have been done. The stuff just wasn't done yet, and they needed to finalize some things. They're completely inconsequential with the race, but that was not their feeling on this. And so he made this whole thing like, hey, like I'm, you know, I think it was unacceptable how he was treated and things like that, right? I'm paraphrasing. Um, but it was, a, you know, a pretty nasty post. And yes, he had his following of people who were like, oh, I'm yanking all my Macklin stuff out now, and I'm done with them, and good on you, and keep your head high and stuff like that. And like, yeah, words of encouragement are awesome. You know, you don't want to, you don't ever want to see a kid be done with RC. It sucks. And, you know, it, I think there's a fundamental problem with the industry that leads to this. But look, that's not how you end relationships with companies. That is how you burn bridges. Team managers talk. And that is exactly what you do to get yourself blacklisted from everybody else around. Yeah. A sponsor sees something like that, a potential sponsor. RC is not as big as people think no, it's a fairly no. tight knit community. Uh, all of us manufacturers talk to each other. Everybody knows somebody somewhere, uh, team managers talk and there's a lot of dialogue that goes on behind the scenes. Like we know who problem customers are. We know who the dickheads are online that are trolls and they start shit with people. Like everybody's familiar with all these different people. And if a sponsor sees you, if a company sees you end on terms like that where you publicly call them out, nobody is going to gamble on you in the future. No yeah. one is going to be like, oh, hey, I'll pick you up so that, you know, next time you get your feelings hurt, there'll be some big blowout online and, you know, you're going to throw us to the wolves in front of everybody on Facebook. And, you know, it's, it's, it is not at all the way that you handle things, not even remotely close. I mean, I cannot think of a better way of putting another nail in your coffin in the RC industry than blasting a business online. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that is something that was, that, that people kind of lack perspective on. I mean, like, look, like I said, he's 15, but also at the same time, when I was 15, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't having blowouts with my sponsors online with, you know, products that I were running at the time. And like, you know, I mean, like at that time, dude, I raced for like Panther tires. Yeah. And I've got the craziest stories about my time with Panther. And... But But, the thing is, with my racing background, though, I also kind of had helped sort of groom you as to how to communicate with sponsors and what's acceptable, because I had really huge sponsors in the moto industry. Yeah. And so I understand how that game is played. And so immediately, you know, when you dove into RC, you are behaving professionally, you're portraying a positive image online, you're not bad-mouthing other companies. And, you know, that was all things that I made sure that you understood about what is acceptable in the racing world. And you were kind of fortunate because you had that guidance and not everybody... That is true. Not everybody has that. And that's maybe why we try and do our part now in terms of like, you know, we've done sponsorship episodes and stuff in the past. And it's been talking points with questions and things like that when people reach out to us because it's like, what is the right way to do things? Because people want to know. There's nothing... I mean, I think we've gotten past the point of hysteria and sponsorship where people classify it as a bad thing. I think we're beyond that now. But... I think there is absolutely a right and wrong way to do it. And then that showed me that, look, your value just plummeted in terms of what you can offer other companies because it's basically if I don't get my way, 
then yeah, I'm gone. If, some, if something happens that hurts my feelings, I'm going to have a fit on and you, and social media. Like I said, it is, it's okay to be upset about what happened. I said, like I said, I think there was a legitimate argument for being upset that stuff was given to non-team drivers. I do. However, what you, how are you react to things like that? Absolutely speak volumes to you, to, to who you are. I don't think necessarily a 15 year old is going to understand this, but this is something to keep in mind. A team manager, their number one priority is to have their products in the winner's circle so that they can make money, so they can have sales. Yep. That is the entire point of owning a business or being a business in the RC industry. You are there to make money and make sales. A team manager does not care about favorites or wouldn't go to the length of rigging a race or anything like that just to have their stuff no. in the winner's circle. That's this, not how it no. works. This was the it, circumstance of this. these were business needs because the traditional route was a risky one. Yeah, it, it was. He, he found himself in a position where he didn't have team drivers with the aptitude to be able to speak the language of what was going on with the ESCs and have a really technical understanding of it. And it's it's not it wasn't a malicious decision at all no. it was a business decision and i don't really expect a teenager to understand that but i would expect his parents and everybody else to understand that yeah it, as nice it is to see people rally around someone when it is down there's a big lesson to be learned there and it didn't seem like anybody was really too keen on making sure that lesson was learned because it was, I mean, with all due respect, it is people who have been in RC not that long who have not seen the things that, like, look, I, if you think that that was an example of mistreatment, then you've got so much to learn. Honestly, there's a way this industry works, and that is what I tried to explain. It's like, there's a way this industry works, okay? Now, <sighs> Let me give you an example, okay? And this, by the way, this this has absolutely no reason or like no um, correlation to why I'm no longer with HB. None at all, okay? It, at the time, like like for context, like I left HB to move to AE because it was the it was the more attractive decision for the decision I was making in my life at that time. At that time, I had enlisted in the military, so AE was a much more deserve uh, diverse platform and it was kind of already heading that way with the way that the things were going with the company. So it was a transition that made sense. I left HB on no ill will and still am friends with a lot of the people in that company. Okay. But something that happened when I was there was that at the time, the most recent car that had come out, which was their D819. When that car came out, the first two batches, I'm pretty sure the first two batches. So we're talking months apart were unavailable to team drivers. Team drivers were not allowed to purchase these batches when they came into stock. They were specifically held for customers who were paying full price. Why do you think that was? Because they make more money initially that way, right? Making cars are expensive, okay? (laughs) And I, to me, that is so much more of a valid reason to get upset than what happened here. I'm not saying it's not invalid, but I'm just saying like, look, you would have, a, you would think that you would have a whole host of people that would get really upset at something like that. And in reality, it really wasn't that much because a lot of these guys had been around a long time. And you know what? I went out 
with an old car all the way up to the end of my term with HB, five years, I went all the way to the end with my term with them on old equipment. And I did just fine. Just like in this case, the software, whatever you want to say, had absolutely no impact on the race. None whatsoever. So, like that. And so to me, it's like, what would you have done in that situation? Okay. And that's not the only example. That's the most recent I have, right? I've had past sponsors and stuff where things like things happen. Sometimes companies make mistakes. Like, let's not sit here and pretend that they don't. Okay. Right. Yeah. You can argue that this was a circumstance where Macklin made a mistake, but I think there is something to be said about reactions. It's how you react to stuff like that. It entirely paints a picture of who you are as an individual and look for context for this driver. I had to remove him from my team a week and a half prior to this, this guy, you know, the guy that in question here, because he was absolutely impossible to communicate with. It was August (laughs) and I brought him on in January. So a place that he had asked to come to who even followed up on his resume to see if I had looked at it yet to bring him on and then came on and was an absolute ghost. And I was super lenient waiting that long to the point started using other people's products. Well, that happened in the beginning. Well, that basically did everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. Well, I I don't want to drag him through the mud too, but my point is, is that if we're going to talk on, you know, merit of being a good team driver, think there are trends that are being painted here because that had happened. And then he had left a company halfway through last year, I believe. And again, these are just big no-nos. So it's like, <sighs> yeah, you can argue, it's a bad argument, but you can argue that RC sponsorships and those agreements are superficial. It's a bad argument, but people make it anyways. So if that's what their stance is on this, then okay. But then at the same time, like I don't, I'm starting to wonder what you really expect here. Like, what is your expectation then? Because you got it. Like, look, you got to prove to companies you are, you are worth the bread and butter <laughs> that you think you provide. A lot of people come in thinking that companies are lucky to have them. And that is just not the case. Yeah. Not the case. This industry all. is super cutthroat. The, the, the sample size of people who are properly useful are so, it is such a small number of people. So when you do things like this and you react the way that you did, and now Colin is taking an absolute beating online for this because now it's being spun all sorts of different ways because people don't have the context of what happened to the context that I have provided tonight that it, you prove you prove the point of why companies would be apprehensive to support you. And if you don't get sponsors in the future because of something like this, then you have this to look back on. So look, if you hear this, if you are that person, and I hope you do, then seriously consider the ramifications of those actions and don't have shame in apologizing. Because I can tell, look, especially if you're in a position where RC is your life, like it is for us, and like it is for Colin, really, because it is it is in a very minor way. I mean, like, look, he spends a lot of time with Macklin. RC is his whole life. So when something like this happens, it affects his whole world. He gets really down about it. He's been upset because he's just getting shit on for it. 
Yeah, he yeah, yeah, he made a mistake. He absolutely did. But he did not deserve what's happening now. Nobody did in these circumstances. Regardless if it's my, you know, friend or co-host or team driver or not, it doesn't matter who it is in the situation. It just it doesn't matter. It could have been this could have happened with the the team manager of Hobby King. It doesn't matter. Like and that's the point that I'm and that's why I had no real intention of ever talking about it on my show. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things like, look, you got to kind of put yourself into some different shoes here. You need to take a step back and look and think about, okay, was that a mistake? And do not have shame in apologizing because people are going to think so much better of you for it. If you're not worried about that, then that's fine. But don't be surprised at what comes and it's not going to be good. So, I mean, that's, look, that's what I have to say. And it's really sad because it played a huge factor into the feeling of like the, the reaction to that race on Saturday. And I think Brett and Brenda came away from that because like, look, by proxy, this affects them too, because in reality, they, you know, then they realized that no one else really want the, the people who wanted to come up and just have a fun, have a good time are probably really small. The rest of them just wanted to, you know, turn it into a, it's a us versus them. Because the, the no vision in this hobby is just insane. Because really no prep is. had to go that way. Because everybody couldn't keep their egos in check. Because everybody can't understand that racing an RC car in 132 feet in a straight line, good at it or not, it does not make you a certified badass whatsoever. We yeah, try, we come from the world the where market. it matters. Yeah, the the tough guy approach to RC is one of the most ridiculous and laughable things I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's radio control cars. You can't, like, yes, you should be professional, but you should not take it so seriously to do that. Yeah, you know, we're threatened to, like, fight people. and I mean, it's just, it's so dumb. Like, I, I mean, I cannot stress that enough how stupid it is. And, like, this whole cheesy you know let's act hard with toy cars thing in the drag racing scene like that's gonna kill it off the way that it killed off you for yeah you know people approached you for with that whole us versus them gang mentality and you four went to absolute shit you four imploded except for like what one track now you four imploded within a year because of this because of bullshit like this and this is the exact same thing in the drag racing world where everybody thinks they're a badass and a tough guy and it's like dude it's toy cars like you look dumb just standing there like come on you can't it it, it, you can't twist rc into being something that it's not which is like a fun play thing to do you know like well, I'm serious. I'm competitive. Well, that's cool, but you're still doing it with toy cars. Rad. You still look like a fool when you like have an attitude about it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. And like no prep has had this problem more than anything else because to be honest with you, the path to becoming the the guy in no prep is substantially shorter than any other part of the hobby. Really is. And it, I mean, like, look, I, it was already happening with, like, the entirety of the NPRC being affected by the drama between Tim Smith and the whole 707 thing. Like, that was getting, that got so bad that the NPRC had to rewrite the rules because think the reaction was so bad for what had gotten leaked because people put their own spin on what happened. And so they had to go back to the drawing board. 
They had to go back to the drawing board and change everything again. The drama just sucks all the fun right out of it. And it's it like, is honestly, entirely like, why guys... I'm not in it. I don't care how fun driving yeah. the car is. I don't. Because it is completely overshadowed by stuff like this. Not yeah. I, By halfway through, actually, no. There is not one point during the race on Saturday where I was like, man, I wish I was racing. Not one. Yeah. Because... That was already happening. And I had I didn't even find out about the software stuff till after the race. I didn't even find out till Monday. Yeah, same here. And that's what really was disappointing for me is like I thought it ended up being a great event from where my seat was. You yeah. know, I had a lot of fun. It was nice hanging out with everybody. There was some damn good tight racing. And it was so disappointing when I heard about what happened afterwards because i had all these high hopes that we were going to be able to do it again really soon you yeah because i genuinely enjoyed myself but now this whole dramatic you know unfolding of events has cast a shadow on what was a really good time yeah really upsetting it's really upsetting so yeah it's just all over hurt feelings that's the worst part it's like can we find like an actual reason you, you can know, say it's about family and this and that and that was their argument but like look like i said you've got a lot to learn about rc and how companies work and how the whole team driver thing works yeah it's i mean like yeah. the concept of a team is honestly it's it's a it's a poor spin when it comes to racing especially stuff like this when it's not a team sport because Look, yeah, you, you're just really not. You just have access to different privileges as a customer. That's yeah, what it Moto's means. Moto is not a team sport either. It just isn't. Yeah, my, you can be no. on the same team, but you're still competitors. Yeah, my my team guys know that. They've always known that. It does not. It's not a you know some big ride partnership to make you a superstar. Yeah, at the end of the day, team stuff is all about sales for the company sponsoring you, and they want those sales, and that is always going to be their number one priority. Yep. And if you want to be successful at it, you play their game, you do it right, you, you know, say yes, sir, no, sir, you, you know, let's say somebody's trying something else that you aren't getting to try. Well, there's probably a reason that that decision was made. It wasn't just some arbitrary thing or some big conspiracy against you or anything like that. It, at the end of the day, it's business and that's what, you know, somehow these people lost sight of that really quickly yeah which is really unfortunate but look i've said my piece on it and i hope that the people involved hear this and have perspective on it that way i mean we've been, yeah, we don't we don't just that it turned into what it did i, really I am too it didn't have to go that way it didn't have to the th that's been my problem is all of this has been 100 percent avoidable we never had to get to this point but you know what we got to be street outlaws, dude. Yeah. Got to be sick. So dumb. It is just so dumb and corny. It is. And I, God, I wish people could see that. You can't be hardcore with toy trucks and cars. You can't. It doesn't work. So stop doing it. Yeah. Don't even try. <sighs> yeah. But anyways, yeah. Unfortunately, it needed to be said. I just, like, like I said, I, I don't really know if I was supposed to or if he really even wanted me to say anything about it because he doesn't really know what to do about it himself. But, I mean, I, I, I watched the way that his name was being drugged through everything and the accusations that are coming towards him now of just completely unrelated BS. And it's been really sad and upsetting to see. And... 
people needed to know the full story and needed to understand. I mean, like, look, people saw this and people asked me what happened. People sent me messages asking me what happened and I tell them and they said, are you serious? It is that petty. Yeah. It, like they can't silly. believe it. So it's really silly. I get it with like teenager emotions and stuff like that. But I mean, Jesus, I think, yeah, I don't know. So anyways, that's that. And, uh, then hopefully I, I didn't even want to talk about it tonight. So hopefully we never have to talk about it again, but you know what? The damage has been done. So I, I don't see that circumstance happening again. So, yeah, I mean, they made their bed. They're going to have to sleep in it now. Yeah, sadly. So unfortunately, tough lesson to learn, but God damn it. They're going to learn now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. And they done going to learn. Yeah. Unfortunately. So anyways, it's just, it's sad, dude. It's no, sad it really and it's is. weak. It really is. It I'm really bummed is. out because I was really hoping that we could do it again sometime, but I just, now I don't see that happening and I think that's really too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too, a bummer. too small a community to start shit like this. It really is. <sighs> yeah. hundred percent. So. Yep. Alrighty. Well, I think it's a good point to wrap. So, yeah, because actually we're just over two hours now. So, yeah, kind if of there's anything to us. be taken away from this episode is don't lose your cool online because it can really have a ripple effect. Also, miniature trucks are rad. Yeah, they that's are. also what we learned tonight. <laughs> so they're really cool. Can't go wrong with a hundred dollar RC car. No, not at all. So anyways, alrighty. Well, um, yeah, we'll be back probably next week. With Adam. So with Adam. With Adam. Missed him this I week. Adam. I was excited to hear him talk about the gladiator too, so we'll have to probably break it down a little bit more next week. Yeah. So cool. Alrighty. Sure. Well, we'll Take see you guys easy, next everybody. week. Yeah. Have a fun week. Enjoy yourselves. And uh yeah, we'll see you soon. See ya. <laughs>